Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of John. The Gospel Record of John and chapter number 13. The Gospel Record of John and chapter number 13. We are still at the very beginning of this series of The Last Night with Jesus, what is commonly called the Upper Room Discourse, a time where Jesus Christ is knowing that he is headed to the cross in a matter of hours, pulls his disciples to him and begins to instruct them to prepare them for the time yet to come. And in the midst of this, we've already had the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, um, <clears throat> where Jesus Christ gave some instructions. Then afterwards, he changed clothes and grabbed a servant's towel in a water basin and washed the feet of the disciples in order to teach them the lesson of a servant to teach them several different things that they didn't, weren't quite understanding quite yet, but they'd look back and understand. But now we continue on in this passage in the gospel record of John chapter number 13. The gospel record of John chapter 13. And if you don't mind, notice with me starting at verse 21. The gospel record of John chapter 13, starting at verse 21, the word of God says this. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. And testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask it who um, <coughs> ask who it should be of whom that he spake. Then he lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some had of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things which we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went, out, went immediately out, and it was night. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of John chapter 13? The gospel record of John chapter 13, and notice the phrase in verse 21 where it says, one of you shall betray me. One of you shall betray me. And maybe if you like connecting things in scripture, verse 26, we find the name of the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. And with the Lord's help, we want to do a character study tonight on Judas, the betrayer. Judas, the betrayer. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you tonight, we just tackle this subject 
of this person, Judas the betrayer. That this isn't a mythological story. This isn't a nice fable. But this is a historical event that occurred. That Judas Iscariot is a real man. This man traveled with Jesus and he betrayed him. I'm asking as we examine the life of Judas that we would learn ourselves. That we would see the lesson that his life teaches. And that we would be reminded that our life teaches a lesson. Again, fill me with your spirit and get accomplished your word tonight. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are several ways to study scripture. You could study scripture by its themes. And there are some grand themes through scripture. For example, you could trace the scarlet thread of redemption all throughout the Bible to see Jesus' sacrifice for us on Calvary. You could trace the golden strand of the second coming of Jesus Christ. From cover to cover, you could see that golden strand woven in and out of scripture. You could study the Bible by its topics. You could study the topic of hell. You could study the topic of music. You could study the Bible by its books. And I love to study the Bible by its books. To take a book and to be able to examine it in its context. You could study the Bible by its words. And I love to do word studies. I love to see how the Bible uses the words. And see the power of the words that God chose to use. You could study the Bible by its characters. And I love character studies. When you do a character study, what you do is you examine a person's life that is recorded in the Bible, and you see the theme of that person's life. You understand that every person ha has a message their life preaches. Every person's life preaches a message. Some messages are good, and some messages are bad. But every life, every person's life teaches a message, including your life. Your life teaches a message message. Somebody looks at your life and by looking at your life they have a message that they receive from it. You understand the way that we live our life is important and it does affect people. Now most of the time when we do character studies we usually study the great heroes of the faith. Those that stand up and do something amazing for the Lord. Like a Joshua who stands up and his, his uh, phrase could be as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. The book of Esther, you find Queen Esther, and you could see the phrase attached to her for a time such as this. And that every person's life teaches a message. Well, tonight we're not going to study a hero of the faith, but we're going to study a person who walked with Jesus. We're going to study a man who traveled with Jesus for three and a half years, and his life teaches a message. And the message of this person, we see Judas, the betrayer. And if you don't mind, let's examine some things about Judas's life and learn about the message that his life teaches. The first thing I want to show you is how he deceived the saints. How he deceived the saints. Now, Judas came from Kiranoth, that's the city, which is on the southern border of Judea. Now, the rest of the 11 were all from Galilee. Only Judah, Judah was a true Judean. And because of that, he, the Judeans considered themselves the true Jewish people. The Jewish people of the Jewish people. They were born at the right place to the right people. And that anyone else who was born anywhere else, whether it was Capernaum or Galilee, whether it was Egypt, whether it's uh, Greece itself, any other Jewish person, they're just partly Jewish. They're, they're Jewish, but they're not real Jewish. But Judah, uh, <coughs> Judas Iscariot, 
He was from Judah. And so that gave him a little bit of status to the other 11. The other 11 from Galilee. But Judah, he was from Judah. Uh, Judas Iscariot was from Judah. He was a Jewish Jew. He was a Jewish man. He was the true-blooded Jewish. He also considers himself a little bit more sophisticated than his rest of his friends. He came from the city. He came from Jerusalem. He came from the civilization where the rest of his disciples, compadres, they were fishermen. They were roughnecks. They were uh, uh, publicans. They were this and that. They lived rough lives. They had to work. Whereas <clears throat> Judah was a little bit more sophisticated than the rest of them. Now on the outward appearance, he seemed to be one of the group. He shook hands. He participated in the functions, including this function. That in John chapter 13, we have Jesus Christ pulling his 12 disciples aside. And they have that last supper. Then Jesus had all of the disciples sitting there and he washed every one of their feet, including Judah, Judas. Judas was a part of that. Judas was a part of that washing of the feet. Then after that, Jesus gave some instructions. Then he said, guess what? One of you are going to betray me. Now that shocked everyone else because they didn't know who it was. Pick it up with me as we kind of just skim over this text really quick. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you should betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. What they did is they did a survey and say, who could it be? I mean, it can't be Peter. He keeps saying how much he loves Jesus. It can't be John. Look at John. John's hugging Jesus right now. It can't be him. And they all go down the line. None of them ever suspected that it was Judah. He had fooled all the rest of the disciples. He had deceived the saints. They had no clue that he wasn't saved. They had no clue that he already made a deal for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus Christ. They had no clue. They're wondering, is it I? Is it I? Notice as it goes on, verse 22. Then the disciples looked one at another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, this is John the Apostle. He didn't want to say, hey, that was me. I'm writing this and I want to let you know. But he's saying that the one that Jesus loved. This is John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. Hey, John, come here. Hey, ask Jesus who he's talking about. And so Jesus, uh, John, verse 25, and he lying on Jesus' breast said, Lord, who is it? So in this, they don't know who it is. They're looking at the 12 and said, there's no way one of us could betray him. There's no way. Judas Iscariot had deceived the very saints. <laughs> Jesus answered in verse 26, he it is to whom I give a sop and when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said, that that thou doest, do quickly. Now Jesus had privately given him this sop. A sop if I understand. is kind of like a bread and gravy type thing. Gave him this thing. And gave it to him privately. Then Jesus out loud tells Judah. Judas. That what you do. Go do now. Do it quickly. And Judas Iscariot got up and left. And even then the disciples didn't think it was Judas. 
They said, well, maybe uh, verse 28. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this of him. For some had thought because Judas had the bag. This is dealing with the idea that Judas was the treasurer. He kept the finances. He was the one that collected the finances from the people. And he's the one that dished it out. He was the one that paid for people, paid for it. That Jesus had said to him, buy some things that we have need of against the feast. Or maybe he should give something to the poor. So Judas left, even after Jesus said, what you do, go do it now. He took off. And the rest of the disciples are still saying, hey, who is it? Who is it? That Judas deceived the very saints. The saints had no clue. It's interesting enough that Judas was the only one who had a position. He was the treasurer. He was in charge of the money. He was in charge to collect all the offerings that came in and to make sure the bills are paid. And because of this, it allowed him to get a little bit of a cheap um, reputation for caring for the poor. After all, how generous can you be if it's someone else's money? You have no problems giving it out if it's someone else's money. And so it would be like this, that Jesus would look at the poor and say, hey, Judas, go give them something to go take care of them. Maybe Judas took it upon himself to see a little widow woman and here you go, take this. And the widow woman would say, oh, bless you, Judas. Thank you, Judas. I'm going to name my next child after you. That a lot of people were fooled by Judas. To a lot of people, he was a good guy. He was the one that gave them money. He was the one that took care of things. And the rest of the disciples had no clue themselves. He was someone who deceived the very saints. Not only that, we also see not only how he deceived the saints, but we also see how he despised the Savior. How he despised the Savior. Now, Judas never failed to give lip service to Jesus, even though he had never personally given Jesus, um, accepted Jesus as his Savior. He would customarily address Jesus as rabbi, meaning teacher, but he would never use the word Lord. Wouldn't recognize him as Lord, but he would call him teacher. He'd have no problems calling him teacher. So how was it that he despised the Savior? Well, one way we see he despised the Savior is that he despised all the Lord's works. He despised all the Lord's works. Judas knew all the miracles that Jesus did. Could you imagine walking with Jesus for those years and to see Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle? The Bible only records about three dozen miracles, but the Bible talks about the end of John that if all the miracles were recorded, we wouldn't have a a book big enough to contain all the things that Jesus did. Could you imagine what it would be like if to watch Jesus to feed the 7,000? What it would be like to watch the lame walk again? To watch the blind to see? Judas saw all of it. And all of these miracles to everyone else, people looked and said, surely this is the Son of God. Judas saw this and said, why isn't he using this to his advantage? I mean, after all, if you could turn, turn, uh, make gold come out from fish, man, you could be rich. How come we're not rich? How come we're, we have nowhere to lay our head? How come this is happening? How come is he, he's not going up to the temple and saying, hey, look, I'm the Son of God, obey me. Why isn't he doing these things? Can you imagine how it would drive Judas crazy? How it would drive him nuts that Jesus would do these miracles for free? 
And he would do these things without trying to make himself king, without trying to exalt himself. He was healing people and letting him go. For Judas, who was not saved, this didn't make sense. If you have all this power, why not use it? And all the Jesus' miracles, instead of driving him closer to the Lord, recognizing how much power God had, he would shake his head and said, why isn't he using this power to get ahead in life? Why isn't he used this to, to help himself? And it would bother Judas quite a bit. He despised the Lord's works. Not only did he despise the Lord's works, but he despised the, Lord, the Lord's words. He despised the Lord's words. You know, even Jesus' enemies proclaimed, never a man spake like this man. Can you imagine? Not only did Judas see all of the miracles, but he heard all of the preaching of Jesus. We have the Sermon of the Mount recorded in the book of Matthew. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus say those wonderful words? Blessed be and blessed be and blessed be. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear him say that wonderful sermon? He heard Jesus talk about the, uh, the miracles that are going to occur. He heard about the things that are going to occur in the future in Mount Olivet. In Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. He heard about these great miracles. He heard Jesus preach. He heard Jesus' wisdom. He heard the words that came out of Jesus. And yet... He never accepted Jesus as Savior. He never listened. It probably disturbed him more and more as Jesus is coming at the end of the three years. As Jesus is talking more and more about the cross. Now remember Judas being a selfish guy is looking out for himself. And the more that Jesus says, hey guess what? I'm going to go die. That's not good news for Judas. I mean, he hitched himself to this wagon expecting to get something from it and to hear that it's going to get derailed and that Jesus, his master is going to die and there goes his meal ticket. There goes the guy who's going to be doing all these miracles. What am I going to do after this? He's probably not enjoying the preaching of the cross. He's probably not enjoying the idea that Jesus is saying he's going to go die. Judas is despising Jesus' words. Jesus is trying to tell the disciples that he's going to the cross and he's going to die, but he's going to rise again. And the disciples aren't getting it. And if the disciples are getting it, Judas is definitely not getting it. What do you mean you're going to die? Are you out of your mind? I mean, you could do a lot, a lot of good if you're alive, Jesus. What in the world are you thinking? You understand this would baffle Judas because he's all looking at himself. And he despises Jesus' words. He doesn't care what the word said. Imagine he heard Jesus give the eight curses, the eight woes unto the Pharisees and to the scribes. Here's Jesus, here, he heard Jesus curse them. And Judas's mind, he's like, why are you provoking them? You know how much powerful they are? Or how much power they have? I mean, wouldn't it be better just to work together with them? Couldn't we get a lot more accomplished if you would get along with them instead of provoking them? Now, again, looking at Judas's perspective, I mean, this is driving him nuts. He's not understanding spiritual things. He's not understanding. He only understands the physical he sees the miracles and he sees the physical. How come things aren't being done with this? He's despising the Lord's works. He hears Jesus talk and he's hearing him provoke the religious establishment. He's hearing that Jesus is going to die. If 
finally he starts thinking, well, you know, I got to do something to, to salvage this. He becomes more and more gospel hardened. He gets to the place where he doesn't hear that he's a sinner no more. He's kind of ignoring the fact that because of his sin, he deserves to go to hell, that he deserves the punishment from God. He's just, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go. You know, when you hear the gospel over and over, you can become gospel hardened. You can get to the place where you keep saying no to God over and over and over and get to the place where it doesn't even phase you anymore. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died, so what? That's where the place where Judas was at. That he'd hurt. I mean, how many times can you imagine hearing the gospel preached by Jesus Christ himself? Can you imagine how powerful that would be? And Judas got to hear it. And still said, no, that's not for me. Not a big deal. I'm religious enough. And despised the Lord's words. And at the end of it, he's knowing that Jesus is headed to the cross. What can I do to salvage this? What can I do to fix this? What can I do to, to get myself out? I don't want to be dying on the cross with the rest of them. I don't want to be hanging out with these bozos when Jesus is dead. I, I got to do something. So he went up to the chief priest and made a deal with them. Hey, can you get me out of this mess if I betray Jesus? I'll turn Jesus over to you and, and I'll get out of this and I will no longer be associated with them. I'm going to salvage this thing. You see, he's looking out for himself and he's trying to find a way out. You understand? Aren't you glad with Jesus Christ we don't have to look for a way out? He is our hope. I'm not looking for a way out of serving the Lord. I'm thankful I get to serve him because of what he's done for us. But he despised the Lord's works. He despised the Lord's words. He also despised the Lord's warnings. Do you know that Jesus, every once in a while, would let Judas know that he knew that Judas wasn't saved? Every once in a while, he would just say, Judas, just want to let you know up front that you're not saved. Uh, John chapter um, 6. John chapter 6. Notice with me. Uh, John chapter 6. <clears throat> now, John chapter 6 is way before he betrayed Jesus Christ. Jesus is still traveling. He's near Galilee at this time, getting ready to uh, go into uh, Jerusalem eventually. But he's traveling. And early on, Jesus in John chapter 6, notice with me in verse 70. John chapter 6 and verse 70. He's talking to the disciples there. Peter just confessed that, hey... I believe that you're Jesus the Christ. In John chapter 6 and verse 70. Jesus answered them. Have not I chosen you twelve. And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. For he it was that should betray him. Being one of the twelve. You know Jesus was never fooled by Judas. He fooled the saints. And he probably tried to deceive himself. But Jesus let him know from time to time, you're not saved. You're not saved. Could you imagine what it would be like that Jesus pointing Judas out? Now, again, he never pointed him out in the crowd. But you'd almost see Jesus looking at Judas and saying, you're a devil. Could you imagine Judas standing there looking at Jesus? Whatever. Just ignoring the warnings. Jesus is pointing right at him and said, hey... There's something wrong here. Fix it. I'm good. He ignored the warnings. Jesus wasn't fooled. Looked at him straight in the eyeballs. Listen. One of you was a devil. No big deal. 
he ignored, he despised the Lord's warnings. And that's how we despise the Lord. He despised the Savior. So we understand how we deceive the saints. We understand how we despise the Savior. But let's look at one more thing of the life of Judas Iscariot. Let's examine how he destroyed his soul. How he destroyed his soul. Notice if you don't mind. As we turn to the gospel record of Matthew chapter 26. The gospel record of Matthew 26. Is a parallel passage of what is happening up in that upper room. Jesus Christ has just had the memorial supper. And let's watch this event unfold in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 26. The gospel record of Matthew 26 gives a little bit more details. That we can compare this to. Matthew 26. So notice with me. In verse number uh, 20. Let's start in verse 20. Matthew 26 and verse 20. Now when even was come. He that's Jesus sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat. He Jesus said. Verily I say unto you. That one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And began every one of them to say to him. Lord. Is it I? Is it I? Now the rest of the disciples asked the question, is it I? I meant Jesus said, hey, one of you are going to betray me. Every one of them, except for Judas, had a heart to say, could it be me? Could it be that there's something wrong in my life? Could it be something that needs to be examined in my life? Is it I? Is it I? They begin to look at themselves, except for Judah. Judas said, nope. I already know what he's talking about, and I don't care. He's already ignored it. Set it aside. The rest of them have a tender heart. Is it I? Is it I? None of the disciples suspected it was Jesus or Judas. Jesus gave the morsel to Judas, and he took off. Let's pick it up in Matthew 26 and fast forward the events. That what happens in this context is the talk that Jesus had with the disciples in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and then Jesus' prayer in 17. After this, Jesus has been praying so fervently in the Mount of Olives that he, is, that he has uh, sweated great drops of blood. What has happened is that he was praying so fervently that the capillaries inside of his skin burst, and as he begins to sweat, the blood would mix with the sweat and and have great drops of blood coming from his body. And Jesus just gets through praying. And so the blood is on his body. I'm trying to paint a picture here. Now notice with me in Matthew chapter 26. Notice with me in verse number uh, verse 20, 47. Matthew 26 and verse 47. And while he yet spake. Oh. <coughs> hit verse 44 again. I want to get some good context on this. Matthew 26 verse 44. And he, Jesus, left them, the disciples, and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and say unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us get going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spoke, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came... And with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave him the sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. 
And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. You see what happens here? That Judas comes to Jesus. He has an army with him. He comes up to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. And he kisses Jesus with his lips, maybe on the cheek. And you understand that Judas's lips touched the very blood that would have forgiven him of his sins if he would have just accepted the free gift. That is how close Judas was. His lips touched that precious blood. He could have been saved. Even now, Jesus is not giving up on him. One last invitation. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 50. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And they come and came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. One last time, Jesus said, Friend, Jesus was just betrayed. Judas went with purchased, got money for betraying Jesus, came with an army, and everyone knows what's going on. The army is traveling with Judas. Judas comes up, kisses Jesus, and Jesus still says, Friend, can you imagine that? Friend, if someone just betrayed you and sold you down the river, would you be willing to say, friend? One last time, Jesus is trying to open up his hand and say, and even though you've done this, friend, friend, what are you here to do? One last chance Judas had to have his sins forgiven. One last chance was given to him to receive that precious blood to wash him of his sins and not just on his lips. Judas could have gotten saved. Even then, Judas could have been saved. Jesus would have been willing to pay all of his price, even that one. That's how powerful the precious blood of Jesus Christ truly is. And yet, Judas rejected that blood. Could you imagine this life-saving blood on your lips? Just wipe it off. Cast it away. And this is how he destroyed his soul. We see the Bible pick it back up in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. And let's pick it up in verse number 1. Matthew 27 in verse 1. When the morning was come and all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bond bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought them again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Now, when he is uh, remorseful, here, or he's filled with remorse, but he's not filled with repentance. He has a guilty conscience, but he didn't get saved. You understand that just because you're not saved doesn't mean you don't feel guilt. People can feel guilt not being saved. He's betrayed an innocent man. Anyone should feel guilty because of this. To see he got put on this illegal trial. They are going to crucify him. And Judas now realizes what he did. Jesus has done nothing but be gracious to Judas. 
He's traveled with him. He's taught with him. He's brought him. He even trusted him with the finances. He has done nothing against Judas. And yet, Judas betrayed him. Your conscience would eat at you too if you were any kind of person. And it ate at him. And finally he went and said, I can't do anything with this money. Take it back. And they said, we can't take the money back. Your money, you do whatever you want with it. He threw the money and they said, okay, well, we'll use this to go do something else. What happened to Judas? Notice if you don't mind in verse number five. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. While Jesus Christ is on trial, Jesus Christ is getting ready to go to the cross. Judas got his own tree and he hung. He didn't die for anyone's sins, but his soul was condemned to hell. And he didn't have to. Over and over he had an invitation to accept the free gift of salvation. Over and over he heard the words that Jesus spoke. Over and over he saw the works that Jesus did. And yet he rejected. He despised the Savior. He put him aside. Warning after warning was given to him. And yet he still never turned to Christ. You see every man's life teaches a message what is the message of Judas Iscariot here? We see a man who had the opportunity to accept Christ time and time and time again. And the biggest tragedy is not that he betrayed Jesus. The biggest tragedy is that he could have been saved. And he could still even have been forgiven of that sin. If he would have been willing just to accept the free gift that Jesus Christ offered him. You understand this is a tragic tale of someone who went to hell that did not have to go. You understand, this is why here we don't take it for granted that anyone is saved. You asked one of the disciples, hey, is Judas saved? They said, of course he is. Man, let me tell you what about Judas. This is someone we could trust with our finances. They didn't realize he was a robber. This is someone who cares for the widow people. This is someone that Jesus himself trusts and asked to go do things with. Judas, he's one of us. They would have never have guessed. And Judas never would have advertised the fact. You understand, we never take it for granted. I've seen too many preachers' wives get saved. I've seen too many preachers get saved. I've seen too many song leaders, too many deacons get saved. I've seen too many church people who've been in there for 30 years that realized that they weren't saved, that they were playing church, finally get it settled. You understand, the worst thing that could happen to you is to be in a church and hear the gospel over and over and over. And never come humble yourself down and say, I need a savior. That was Judas's problem. Every life teaches a message. Judas' life teaches this. The tragedy of rejecting Christ. The tragedy of rejecting the savior. After hearing a message over and over and over. That is the greatest tragedy here. And once again, we never take it for granted. Maybe there's someone in here that has been part of this church since the beginning. Maybe you've attended a short while. Maybe you've always been in church. Maybe you've owned a Bible all of your life. Maybe your parents are Christian. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. But that does not make you saved. 
How does someone get saved? First of all, by recognizing that you are a sinner. You understand, people don't like to think of themselves as a sinner. But it is necessary. In order to be saved, you must realize that you are a sinner. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Everyone is messed up. You understand? Until someone realizes that they're a sinner, there's nothing for them to be saved from. There are some people that says, well, I'm a good person. No, no, it's not, we're not asking how good of a person you are. We're asking, are you a sinner? Well, you don't understand. I give so much to the poor. Well, I'm glad that you do, but that's not what we're asking. We're asking, are you a sinner? Well, you don't understand. I've been a member of a church all of my life. That is not what we're asking. We're asking, first of all, are you a sinner? Have you ever disobeyed God? Have you disobeyed his commandments? Well, the Bible goes on to say that because of our sin, that we deserve an awful place called hell. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You understand that unless a person believes that they deserve to go to hell, there is nothing to save them from. Hell is an awful place, and we don't like to talk about it, but it is a real place where real people go. You understand that Judas Iscariot has been in hell for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. It is a real place. A very real place. It's a real place where people go. And it's a place where good people go. If they've never accepted Jesus as their savior. If you looked at Judas's life. You would say that he lived a good life. <laughs> he traveled with Jesus. How much trouble can you get if you're traveling with Jesus? This isn't a guy who's been hitting the bars. This isn't a guy who's stuck watching pornography. This isn't a guy who's stuck gambling. This is a good guy who traveled with the disciples, who helped out with Jesus, who was faithful to church. People point out to his betrayal, but you understand he lived a good life, but still died and went to hell living a good life. You understand hell is for anyone who does not accept the free gift of salvation because we are sinners. Which brings us to the next thing. That if someone is going to be saved, they have to realize that they are sinners. And because of their sin, they deserve to go to an awful place called hell. And that Jesus is their only answer. You are not saved by getting baptized. You are not saved by going to church. You are not saved by giving money to the church. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus has given a gift to all men, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Which brings us to the last thing, that each person must individually, for themselves, accept the free gift of God. You understand, it is basically an agreement between two parties. That, do you agree to the terms, God? And God agrees. And each one of us must personally and individually accept the terms that Jesus died on our behalf. He paid our price. And when someone gets saved, it is the moment that they accept the terms. They agree to what Jesus has done. You understand there are many people who go to church and they believe that they're a sinner. 
There are some people who go to church and believe that because of their sin, they deserve to go to hell. There are people that believe that Jesus died for them. And the tragic part is that there are people that will still go to hell because they never came to the place where they personally asked Jesus to be their Savior. You understand, this is not something that we take for granted. Someone says, well, well, I'm afraid to say that. I'm afraid what people will think. Let me tell you what people will think. We're so glad you got it settled. Every single person who is saved will be so glad you got it nailed down. No one's going to go, oh, everyone's going to be going, yes. We're glad that you got it nailed down. We're glad that you got it settled. We're glad that you know that you know that you know. You understand the greatest thing that can happen is for anyone to get saved. You understand, don't let pride send you to an awful place called hell. Don't go to hell for anyone. Well, I'm afraid what people will think. Who cares what people will think? Even if they do have a bad reaction, I wouldn't want to go to hell for that. You understand? Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to get it settled. Again, we don't care who you are. You could have said you're a Christian for all of your life. If you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, get it settled. Get it settled. You need to know that you know that you know that you have everlasting life. That Jesus died so that you can know for sure. And the message that we see, every person's life teaches a message. What is the message of Judas Iscariot? The message is, is that he had the opportunity to get saved over and over and over. And the tragic thing is that he never accepted Christ for himself. And because of that, he went to an awful place called hell. Dear friend, don't let that be you. Again, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I'm trying to shake it loose to make sure that you know that you know that you know. That you have it nailed down a mile deep. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That you know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have it. He wants it nailed down a mile deep. And so if you are saved. I'm not making you doubt your salvation. I'm making sure that it's nailed down. And if you're saved and you know it. It's just, it's just cementing. But if you're at the place where you said you know what. I just don't know. I'm thinking about it now and I just don't know. I want you to come in just a moment. We're going to give an invitation. Just like Judas was extended an invitation, I'm inviting you to respond. And you come up and shake my hand and I'll be glad to take you somewhere and open the Bible and show you from the Bible to nail that down deep. Again, we don't take it for granted that anyone is saved. We want you to know that you know that you know and the greatest thing, we'd all rejoice if you got it nailed down. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.